Hello and welcome to this CityWire broadcast in association with River and Mercantile. I'm Richard Lander of CityWire. My guest today is Al Bryant, who looks after River and Mercantile's emerging market strategies from his base in Chicago. Uh, so welcome, Al. Uh, I trust you're well. We're all a little down here after last night's football loss, but, well, you know, there's always the World Cup next year, so uh, let's not be too down. Uh, so let's talk emerging markets. You've been investing in these markets for around 14 years now, and maybe let's start by saying, you know, discussing how how's the market changed over that time. Yeah, so thank you very much, Richard. Thanks for having me. And uh, yes, it, it's clear at this point, having spent enough time looking at Asia and, and emerging markets that we're calling it very much a, a changed landscape as you look at the, the composition of what we call the emerging market uh, index, you know, whether it's from a geographical standpoint or a, a sectoral standpoint. There have been significant changes and probably the, the critical one has been this transformation of the index from uh, a very cyclical oriented market with uh, you know, a lot of energy and miners, perhaps 10 to 15 years ago as we went through the, the giant commodity super cycle. And over really the last 10 years, there's been this transformation with the rise of China's weight in the index itself and the rise of the digital and the, the technology uh, champions of China, Korea, and Taiwan to the point now where you have a, a very interesting, I think, balanced market in terms of uh, how you compare it to a lot of the other European, U.S. markets, you have, a, you have an index now that's very, very balanced. And I, many investors nowadays, they still have this, this legacy view of EM in the, in the sense that it is just a cyclical play. So and it, and it creates unintended consequences for how flows come in and out of EM. But our, our view is that you have a, a, a very strong balance between cyclical value side in EM and in a digital, uh, a digital forward-looking opportunity set in EM. Great. Uh, and you mentioned the inflows and the outflows. So, uh, and it has been a feature of the past decade or more that uh, there's a there's a trend to rush in and a trend to rush out. Now seems to have been certainly the first half of 2021 seems to have been pretty strong for inflows. Why is that happening? Well, yeah, I, I think it's it ends up being a little bit of a recovery play, but I, I think to tie it back to this change landscape and the, the consumption story in EM, you, so far you, you've had uh, a very good handling of the crisis in East Asia. So China, Korea, Taiwan have handled the, the COVID-19 crisis quite well, and their, their economies, they were first in and they've been first out. So their economic recoveries were primarily uh, funded by providing the work from home solutions for the rest of the world and uh, and even providing a lot of the ingredients that go into some of the vaccines. So you've had an economic recovery that has led in, in Asia and that, that certainly created some interest in EM last year and, and China had some significant leadership. What you really have now as you look forward is the rest of EM looking for this, this vaccine recovery. So I, I think flows are now starting to, to move back in and uh, looking to take advantage of that, that second or third leg of the, the global recovery from, from COVID-19. And, and there should be, I think, better confidence in making higher and uh, longer stable allocations to EM, because a lot of investors, we see this ourselves, are looking at uh, a changed landscape in EM in terms of risk. 
and how you think about risk going forward. Because it's not this cyclical index of, of old, uh, there's a far more stable consumption story behind EM. The financial houses of most governments, most corporates, and even consumers in EM are in a lot better shape than they were 10 years ago. You don't have this concern of some kind of debt implosion in EM anymore. And I think that allows, allows for higher, more stable allocations. And, and as, as these financial houses have gotten in, in better order, you also see that rates across most of EM, the core of EM, are, are at decade lows. Inflation is, for the most part, under control. There's been a few hot spots where uh, the, the central banks have responded. And I, I think this, this rise in inflation will be somewhat temporary. But these are all reasons to have greater confidence in EM and uh, to continue those flows going forward. Just to go back to first principles, your job, you know, no one has such a such a large choice as uh, as an EM manager. You've got command economies run by autocrats. Uh, that's a polite word for it. Uh, you've got hyper-capitalist economies out there. You've got commodity exporters, commodity importers. I mean, how, how do you look at this vast universe and say, I'm going to pick these 30, 40, 50 stocks? You, you have to uh, you, you have to have the the Swiss Army knife, if you will, uh, to, to address all the opportunity sets and the risks and the pitfalls that come along with investing in, in EM and you know, having enough uh, scars and war wounds of, of learning lessons on what to do and what not to do in EM. But it really the, the way that we try to approach the uh, the opportunity set in EM is from a stock picking fundamental bottom up standpoint. So can we find the best ideas across Asia, across LATAM, across EMEA. But at the same time, you and we've spent a lot of time with the with the macro team at River Mercantile trying to better understand and manage through the macro risks that that are inherent in EM and particularly in a lot of the, the smaller markets. Big opportunities in some of the smaller weighted countries around EM, but you have to know when when it's it's safe to be in these areas and when it's not. I, I liken it to, you can find, a, from a stock picker, you can always find interesting cheap opportunities. But uh, if it ends up being one of those examples of a, a great house on a really bad block, meaning this is a cheap company that's in a, in a market or an economy that has uh, economics decelerating, maybe the credit cycle decelerating, that, that cheapness is an illusion. And that is you know, the, the biggest trouble you can get into in EM is, is finding value traps. And most markets are littered with those. And if you can get that, that lightning in a bottle to identify when you can find cheapness in an accelerating economy, you can really, uh, you can really uh, ride, ride the wave in, in EM. So for, for us, the, the labor love for, for our team on the stock selection side has, has been something that I've been working on for 15 years. And, and we call our investment process the industrial life cycle, or ILC for short. And we, we come at investing in them from very much a, a core point of view, trying to identify the best value creating ideas in what you would call the growth parts of the market, which are ample in the EM, uh, quality parts of the market, as well as value. And, and this, for us, the critical demarcation in EM is defining the difference between what a cyclical is and what a value is in EM. And uh, again, going back to this change landscape, Investors are not looking to uh, to increase those flows into EM just to buy into cyclicals. Right. So you got a lot of stock selection in there, but what are the macro people at R and M telling you? 
when you when when you go through this process? Yeah, we we've had uh, a very big transition in EM in the last I'd say three to four quarters, and and the the interesting thing for us is that you've had five years of significant growth leadership in EM, and uh, that's that's also been taking place in in the U.S. as well, but with this recovery that started in in Asia and it's now progressed to the U.S. and it looks like it's starting to uh, you know, the baton is now being handed off to to Europe. That has created really a, with all the stimulus ongoing in the world. There's been a, uh, a a rising tide of growth globally, and that tends to coincide with investor sentiment moving away from looking for good secular growth stories and trying to find good value stories. When, when the tide is rising, it, it lifts all the boats. And uh, we've now had the cyclical kick in EM. So oil's risen, uh, a lot of the, the metals have risen as, as China has been restocking. And I, I think from a macro standpoint now, the, the key considerations are, what are, the, what are the next legs of growth? Is it going to be another cyclical story for the next two to three quarters? Or are sentiments going to, to move more towards this quality side? and truly trying to distinguish value from cyclical going forward. And you, that, that takes you to uh, nuanced approaches within China, within Korea, Taiwan, and, and then really Southeast Asia, and even, even Latin America. So trying to find those opportunities where there's still room to run on, on the valuations and, uh, and look to continue to improve their profitability and their, improve their balance sheets as you go forward. And that's, that's the key difference between cyclicals and, and value. So you might be sort of less interested in Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, Samsung, uh, some of the big Chinese giants. Are you are you sort of shifting your balance from 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 those companies, and where where are you moving to? Some of the most exciting parts of the quality spectrum within EM it comes back to Taiwan Semi in Taiwan and uh, Samsung Electronics in, in South Korea, and these are the at the crux of those local markets and, and for global investors as well. The, the latter though, the, the Tencents and Alibabas uh, within China, these have been digital champions that have really significantly contributed to that changed landscape in the EM over the last 10 years. And they have monetized uh, significant value as they've proliferated online retail and gaming and uh, payments, cloud, streaming. But it, what, what has wound up happening is, is they've moved into bricks and mortar and they've moved into, well, they've moved into payments. Uh, they're moving into finance. All these additional incremental investments have taken what were 20 to 30% ROI businesses down to 10% ROI businesses. And at the same time, the growth rates have moved from 30 to 20. And, and the, the insinuation is that those, those growth rates will continue to move down. And this has all happened at the same time that uh, the, the Chinese government has started to take a, a, a greater interest in in competition and in the use of data and uh, in, and in regulation. And this this key consideration for us is just watching where the profitability is going for these for these very large weights in the index. And our view is that the incremental investments that have pulled down those ROIs are going to continue to pull those ROIs down. And that for us has led to a, a quandary in terms of looking at what is your software weight in EM? What is your weight in China? And if, if, you're, not, if you're not keen on 
Tencent and Alibaba, you need to find other places to put that money. And the way that you would look at our portfolio at this point is you will see an underweight to China by 3 to 4%, an underweight to software by the same amount. And we've been sifting through all of our screens within China, within software, within the growth part of the market, which those companies still reside in, but there's clearly a transition where they will be migrating from growth to later life cycle uh, parts of the of the market, and trying to trying to redistribute those uh, those active positions, and that's that's taken us to smaller cap software plays in China. It's taken us to uh, solar power plays in China, and it's taken us to yeah, home building plays in in Brazil. And th this is just the constant. Uh, back and forth that that one has to work on within EM. Right. Okay. So we've talked a lot about China. Which other uh, countries and companies are you shifting your focus to at the same time? Where we started looking then, where the way we'll think through capital allocation from a, a country standpoint is where, where have you seen economics bottoming? Where have you seen valuations bottoming out? And if you can find good ideas in, in those types of markets, you you have a nice margin of safety and you have a, a significant opportunity for year over year profit growth going forward and so that has led us to markets like uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, Latin America whether it be Mexico or, or Brazil because we do see that you know, these economies have all been hit to a much larger degree than you ever saw in China, Taiwan, South Korea uh, so they, they have not seen the same timed recoveries economically, whether you look at PMIs or GDPs coming out of those markets. But it, it seems like we are at a point where the, the growth numbers are not going to get any worse. The lockdowns are starting to unwind. The vaccine rollouts are in the works. And uh, the markets have not yet really fully priced that in. The, the catch-up play between EM China and then the rest of China is, is still very very early stages and that's really the way that we've been thinking about it but with with saying that that doesn't mean that you can go run an EM portfolio that is 100% in Malaysia and Latin America and what works for you outside China say in Latin America what would what are the type of companies that appeal to you down there yeah in in Brazil we've just picked up a interesting company called Duratex which is more of a a small mid-cap company but this is in more of a, a late stage value slash cyclical type position, but they're a leading manufacturer of flooring and lumber for homes and for furniture. And they own a lot of their own forest in Brazil, which is very, very properly managed from a, an environmental sensitivity standpoint. And uh, they, in, in the last few years, they have really cleaned up their balance sheet. They have uh, taken their debt load from 40% down to 20% and really right-sizing their business, focusing on a couple other niche areas that include ceramic tiles and working on uh, viscous staple fibers, which is using wood pulp to create really a, a polyester alternative. So they're finding interesting new ways to really monetize the asset base that they have in this, in this forestry business. And they've started to improve their ROIs. Brazil went through an awful downturn in 2015. They were just starting to come out of that as, as the pandemic hit. So this, this downturn has continued and continued. And I think just as you see in the US, you see in the UK, you see in really the rest of the world, there's a significant uh, housing shortage. And this, this is likely to be a theme 
for investment and uh, consumption for the next five to ten years is home building and home starts catch up to where where demand is especially if we're all going to continue to work from home as you and I are doing doing today but uh, yeah Duratex is one of these companies that we think hits the spot they're in the right part of the life cycle at the same time that Brazil looks to be coming out of their uh, out of their downturn from from COVID and uh, there will be not only new home starts, there will be ongoing re, uh, refurbishments and then restocking of, of furniture as we go forward. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the same as digital online China, but there is uh, plenty of upside as, as management continues to weave their way through the, the recovery there. Right. I mean, you know, the, the words Brazil and forest sort of instill fear into a lot of people when they see what's going on but it's good to hear that company's got got it right i mean how much of what you're doing and 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 researching and buying into it is driven by concerns about esg governance and and particularly energy transition are there there a lot of opportunities there for you there there are and and i think the there's significant low-hanging fruit in em as it relates to esg and this has been a a big part of our work for the team in the last, I'd say, 24 months, trying to ever increasingly incorporate ESG considerations into the portfolio. And if you look back over the, the eight plus, plus years that we've been running this fund, you see that it's had a very consistent, uh, positive ESG profile within EM. And we are, we're working diligently to, to ever improve that, uh, that spread. But yeah, EM is part of the problem for ESG, and it's also part of the solution. You know, the, the increase in emissions, the growth in the emissions going forward is coming from places like China, like India, as you know, they have premium growth rates, they have power needs, and uh, that creates emissions. But on the other side, they've all been big signatories to, uh, to helping to be part of this problem. So. The, the scale that has come out of solar power at this point for the entire world has is, is been a very big strategic uh, point of view for the Chinese government. And so we do see you know, there are opportunities for solutions and, and investment opportunities in China. We, we've recently put a name into the portfolio that's in the A-share market in China called SunGrow Power. So this is a, a growth stage company. They have uh, 27% market share in making power inverters for solar farms. And these are for large industrial scale solar farms that at this point, you look at the demand given all the all of the uh, infrastructure spend that's being earmarked here in the US and in Europe and really China, India on down the line, there's, there's a, a significant opportunity for profitable growth going forward. SunGrow Power has I believe 27% market share in making these power inverters. So this this is creating the, the conversion in the, the power cycle from uh, direct current to alternating current. So it can come from the, the solar panel into our homes and, and run our computers. Uh, this is an innovative company. They have 33% of their employees working in the R&D lab there, investing in making high quality hardware solutions along with high quality software solutions. And this this always comes back to this this energy transformation is it's going to come down to both hardware and smart software yeah 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 i mean it's interesting you know 
you've got companies like this that we've never heard of that are doing amazing things and growing at a fast rate. I mean, is it stories like this that you can, you know, the UK investors who are listening to this, the wealth managers, they've probably got, I don't know, I think it's something like 2 to 3% of their allocations to emerging markets. So, I mean, what would you say to them to persuade them that it should be, you know, several times bigger than that if they want to do the right thing by their clients? I, I think, yeah, the the market insights we have are that yeah, this two to three percent allocation to EM is is pretty prevalent in the UK. Uh, it's very different from US allocations, which are more market weight. Which, if you look at global equity markets, I think EM is anywhere from probably eleven to twelve, thirteen percent of global markets. So having a two to three percent allocation is significantly uh, betting against this this EM story. And you think back through the we've talked about here, the change landscape, the, the digital opportunities, the cyclical opportunities, the value opportunities, and then even these, these ESG solutions for the world. Uh, I, I think this is the time. There's, there's far less financial risk embedded in EM at this point. It's not as cyclical as it used to be. There is a significant opportunity in the, the rise of the Chinese consumption story of trade within EM to, uh, to I think, Further stabilize the growth story, and uh, it's it's at a discount. EM has been at a discount for 10, 15, 20 years to uh, to the rest of the world, but I, I think you have a far greater stability at this point to uh, to monetize this and, and take advantage of yeah whether it's SunGrow or or whether whether it's Duratex in uh, in Brazil. Okay, and just finally looking forward, you know, you talked about this five, ten years. How different do you think the EM investment landscape will be if we just fast forward five years from here? I, I think it'll be, my guess will be uh, that you continue to see the rise in China as an overall weight in EM. And you do have, uh, you have such opportunity there. As, as we also see, you know, opportunity in, in South Asia and in Latin America, but uh, the the sentiment cycle on China has come full circle in the last ten years. It, we we used to always have uh, investors telling us, "Well, we're 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 buyers on the EM story, but we're terrified of China." And it, that's really come full circle now. To can you just run a China only portfolio for us? And I, I think that's that's exciting. Uh, the the folks that manage all the EM indices are going to have an issue as as China continues to grow at a, a greater clip than a lot of the rest of the world. Uh, it, it will be 40, it'll be 45, it'll be 50% of the index. And I, I think it's just, it is the thousand pound gorilla that you can't ignore in your, in your portfolios. Like even if you're only two to 3% in EM, I don't even know what that means you, that your China weight is, but you're significantly betting against, uh, I think one of, the, one of the key strategic growth and profit stories that, uh, that investors are faced with for the next 10 to 15 years. And it's, it's a, it's a very different story than it was 10 years ago. And you, you really had to, to rethink that allocation. Sounds exciting. Uh, Al Bryant of River Mercantile, thank you very much for joining us today. I think it's been a fascinating discussion. So much exciting stuff going on in the emerging markets. Uh, and I uh, hope to speak to you again very soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me, Richard.